Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. When he started building Acuity Scheduler back in 2007, Gavin Zuklinski was trying to help his mother solve scheduling problems for her massage business. But as more people started using the product, he listened to every piece of customer feedback, building a passionate user base and a product that responded to the evolving small business market. In this episode, Gavin will tell us why he left a job he loved to turn his side hustle into a full-time role, how growing up with entrepreneurial parents helped support his choices, and what the challenge is like when learning to delegate while growing the company he built from the ground up. Today I'm talking with Gavin Zuklinski, and he is the founder of Acuity Scheduler. Gavin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on here. Cool. So Acuity Scheduler, it's something that's been around for a while. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing? Yeah, sure. So I started Acuity around 2007. It was originally created for my mom. She's she's a massage therapist, and I saw her just going back and forth with clients and listening to all their crazy reasons for needing to cancel and reschedule. And I knew that there had to be a better way to manage all of that. So that's where Acuity was born out of. And then since then, I had it as a side project, and it had just continued to grow and grow and grow until 2013, when I changed from Acuity being something that was built for my mom and had grown much more than that to being my full-time passion. And since then, we're now at just tens of thousands of different businesses, totally different types from massage therapists, like I originally intended, to life coaches, podcasters, and everybody running the gamut there. Well, it's an incredibly convenient service. and It's something that a lot of people need. It helps you look professional. It helps people schedule your time. And it puts it in the hands of the person who's scheduling so that it doesn't have to be something that you have to manage with a, an assistant or a personally face-to-face. -face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it really lets you put like the logistics around going doing an appointment on autopilot. Like my, my real goal for it is to make it so that folks can schedule less, spend less time on the logistics around scheduling appointments and more time on what they enjoy. And it's probably not flipping through an appointment book and having to call back clients who leave you messages or anything else. It's really helping your customers do better. So everything with Acuity is built around that idea that we're trying to automate a lot of those things that go into it, like filling out forms, collecting payment, you know, just sending reminders, making sure people actually show up for their appointment so that you can hopefully get to the point when people can schedule, fill out all the information you need in advance and pay and everything so that when they get to the time of the appointment, you can just dive into what really matters. That's awesome. It takes care of so many things. And how long has it been around? Because it feels like it's, it's one of the ones that's been around from the early days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like I mentioned, from 2007, even though I had originally built it for that one person, my mom, it was always a service that other people could sign up for. So from the early on, just had it on Google and through search and everything else is how people found out about it. So it's really been growing and evolving and under active development since since 2007. And then the rate of development has increased significantly since then. So we've had tons of fun changes and much nicer UI and everything else. So it's really fun to see how it has 
has evolved. But yeah, it's been around for a while. And I think that long growth too, I'm really happy about since it's given me a lot of time to listen to what people really needed and slowly try to figure out what the real use cases were before diving into anything too much. So I'm really happy about how that long development process has gone. Hmm. So so back in 2007, what was the market landscape for things like this? I mean, now there are several several companies doing similar things with different different flavors, but what, what was it like back then? Yeah, so right now it is a completely different space than it was back then. Right now it's extremely busy and crowded. Back then, it's kind of funny since I think there, that was sort of the, the point. There was there were one or two other ones, I forget the name, it was appointment something or other, that I had recently gone back to look at in the past few months, which was one of the only ones that I had remembered back then. And they're still around now, and it looks like they haven't changed that much since 2007. But there were maybe only two other players in the space, but I considered them really expensive, and they looked a little bit, I don't know, less than modern, a little bit more kludgy. So I felt like I really did not value my time that much back then, but I think they were going for like $80 a month for their low plan, and I felt like that was way too expensive. So I wanted something that small businesses could really afford, you know, like you mentioned too, to make them look a lot more professional and everything else. So that's why we started out with just a $10 a month plan, which was uh, really just to cover my hosting costs at the time and did not value my time at all. <laughs> but it values the time of the people who are, who are buying into something like this. Because when you're, when you're buying a service like this, you're really replacing the cost of your own time and the time of your clients and the time of your assistant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like just the what we hear for the benefits of it is on, on average, when we did a survey of all of our customers, it comes out to about two and a half weeks of work days per year that people are saving just based off of the individual time and the average amount of time that uh, people spend on appointments, which is incredible. So it pays for itself just there with the management of it. But then we also find that you get fewer no-shows because we're automatically sending email reminders and text message reminders or anything else you need. So often the cost of just a single saved no-show frees up like it pays for what you would spend acuity on. But outside of those sort of really direct measurable ones, there's been a lot of unexpected benefits that we've found too. There's a, a waxing place who has been a long time customer of Acuity and they we were chatting back and forth recently and they mentioned that about the same time that they started their business, a couple of other competitors popped up around the same time. But since then they ended up flourishing and are opening up a second location and had some questions about that. But they said that they are flourishing, maybe not because they have a better service or anything else, but they noticed that people just like the convenience of being able to book online. So that gave them enough of an advantage to be able to grow their business a little bit more. And we've heard anecdotes like that from many other folks as well. And probably part of that is the ease of people being able to book appointments on their own. You can also book them at your own time, which when we look at it, about 35 to 40% of appointments are actually booked when a business is closed. So that increases the convenience. You can actually get locked in for what you want and show up too. So along with the measurable save time savings per appointment, reduced no-shows and everything else, you're probably growing your business a little bit too, just by making it a lot more convenient for customers. And it feels like something that, that ties in well with the way that people are living their lives online today, but it probably was a little bit different back in the early days. I'm curious about how you did your customer acquisition and how you built up your audience to make it into something that could become a business. I really did not start out with the idea of like making Acuity to the point that it is today. I really just wanted to build a product that was genuinely useful. And actually the original like business purpose, part of the reason why I didn't value my personal time and development so much was that I had a web development firm at the same time. So I was hoping that 
you know, people who would sign up for Acuity would want the scheduler embedded into their websites and integrated into there, and I'd be able to get some web development clients at the same time, and that part totally fell flat on its face. I did not get a single person uh, for web development from that. But Acuity itself, the product actually took off and really did very little marketing at the very beginning. I tried to spend some time on SEO and, and targeting specific keywords. And that has paid dividends over time too, because we're highly ranked for a lot of the keywords that we targeted back then. We're still really highly ranked for. So that that has probably been one of the single best marketing efforts that I've done. Along with that, a couple years after, Acuity had started. I tried to, you know, market it by getting people to write about it and going to sort of like the bigger tech sites and everything else. And that pretty much nobody, they're not really not interested in talking to a founder who's bootstrapped their company and is building a product, you know, that people can actually use right away and is useful. But what I ended up doing was I found a bunch of really small bloggers and, and podcasters who had either looked at things that were similar and reviewed them on their site or was like from some sort of industry that we were looking at and contacted them directly and got great results about that because I don't know they just seemed really appreciative that we'd like I would personally say like hey I saw your site you did some great content about about MailChimp or something we were great for small businesses too you can like after you send a MailChimp list you can just have your clients book online so it helps to automate a lot of that blah 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 and people would be really receptive to that so that was good and then that ended up getting links back to us which I'm sure helped our SEO also so it was a good cycle there. Yeah, the value of targeting that group. I mean, like my audience, for example, it's a lot of people who are very interested in that stage of the business where they're trying to get from, I'm trying to do everything myself to I'm trying to automate some things so that I can free up my time. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really the sweet spot for a service like yours. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. And I think we got maybe one sort of big techie type of site to put some content about us. And it was good, but it was really just good because they were highly ranked in the Google results that from like direct referrals from people, just talking directly with the people who would find the service the most useful, like in a really concentrated audience, like you're saying, turned out to be the biggest, the biggest thing for marketing. <laughs> you can have a huge audience, but if it's the wrong people, it doesn't matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or you can have a huge audience that's just really diverse. If you have people looking at a tech site, they're not necessarily people who would be interested in helping to automate their business. So you mentioned that you came into this, you were running a, a company that was doing web development. Can you tell me a little bit about where you were when you started this out? What resources you had available to you at the time? Yeah, so I've always been a techie person. So I was very comfortable building everything myself. I think when it started out, it was just sort of a night and weekend type of project where I was doing a lot of development on my own at the time. This was around when I was in college. So I was trying to pay my way through there by doing web development. And then, like I mentioned, sort of doing this to hopefully feed into that. Um, so I, I was doing quite a bit of web development that was taking up most of my time along with school and everything else, and then also creating Acuity. But it was a really just a trickle of new users at that point. So I was able to take when people would email in, I got really excited because I was just really happy that somebody had found Acuity. So I'd take a lot of the feedback that they had in emails and implement it within hours. And I think that had really helped get the word of mouth going too, that once somebody found it, they were more likely to tell their friends and write about it and everything else. Maybe not because the quality of the product was so fantastic, but because they felt like they had a 
direct line to the developer and the creator of it, which they did. So that was that was a great benefit over time. And we're still trying to keep that type of thing in mind as we've grown to many more employees and many more customers too. Yeah. And then actually, so slightly after that, the web development was, was doing well, but it wasn't something that I could really do full time. And the, the pairing of these two, eventually the revenues from appointment scheduling started to eclipse what I was doing there. And I had gotten a job with the government that I really loved. So I was doing a full-time work there but it was really nice to have something on the side like acuity because the government doesn't pay that well so <laughs> it's good to have something else uh, to help supplement that and it was partly that as the motivation so i dropped off the web development at the time and it was strictly just government day job and then acuity at night and i was really driven by hearing people what they did with Acuity and developing it. And I get a lot of intrinsic joy just about building something and seeing people use it. So that kept me motivated in the early times too. I like that. And it's a, it's always a question that I have for people who are working full-time and also trying to build a business on the side, yeah, how they keep their motivation, how to keep their energy just in order to, to try to support. Because when you've got a customer base, you have a responsibility to those people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, the, the government job was interesting since I didn't have phone or, or internet during the day or anything too, where there were some points where when I would come out to my car at the end of the day, I would turn on my phone and I would see a dozen different emails from people saying that the site was down and it had been down for like four hours and I just had no idea. So that was oh, that was so frustrating to me too because I had to get in the car and drive home and wait all that time before I could actually fix it. So that was part of the onus for why I had to figure out whether I wanted to stay in that day job or leave it. And then the other thing too is like just support emails started to build up and build up over time and I enjoyed doing support, but I also enjoy building. And eventually it came to the point when support was starting to eclipse what I could do to actually build and improve the product. So that was another one of the things that that changed over time too. But I think one of the very different things for me is when I, when I hear a lot of people have day jobs and a side project, they hate their day job and they love their side project and they're trying to find like the fastest way to move that. I absolutely loved my day job. So when I had to choose between going to with Acuity or going with my day job because Acuity had gotten to that point, like you're saying, where you have a, a responsibility to customers that I was no longer really able to respond to all of their emails and like improve the service and everything else unless I made some drastic changes. It was a really tough decision of which one I should go with. And I obviously chose Acuity, but it was it was really, really tough because I loved both. Wow, tough decisions to have to make, man. Uh, really good ones, though. I'd prefer <laughs> that one. <laughs> Absolutely. We should all be in that position. It occurs to me that when you're talking about the situation where you're trying to do tech support and you're trying to run a day job, you must have bumped up right away against the issue of delegation of responsibility and how you delegate the responsibilities of your job. Can you tell me a little bit about how you integrated that into what you were doing? Because, I mean, for for example, I mean, you were working, you had tech support issues, you could have delegated responsibility for handling those to somebody else at that point. Or was the business not at that point making enough money to support that? Oh, it was. It was. I was I was really lucky that at the point when I had to make the decision, the, I was making actually more from Acuity as a side project than I was making from my day job. So several months prior to me leaving, I did hire somebody to do support full time. But I ran up with the problem that 
now I have somebody responding to emails full time. I still have to, you still have to support your support. Like I can't be without phone or email throughout the day to help them because there's still the issue of like they had an emergency line to reach me if the site had gone down. But if there's little issues where it's a little bit more questionable, there was still that up in the air and actually training them and getting that like I could, I could have just outsourced it and gotten answers out there. But I had been giving such good quality support because I was the person who wrote it. I was the person who built it. I was actively responding and doing everything that I wasn't very happy giving less good quality support. And for me to completely step away and 100% delegate support, I would have to be comfortable with that, which I, which I wasn't. So what I actually found was when I hired somebody to do support, I felt like I had more responsibilities to the business because I wanted to increase the quality of support. And also, then it just, all that did too was it freed me up to be able to get back to building things and improving things, which is that cycle where now all of a sudden I get more support emails. So I had to quickly after that hire somebody else. And now you have multiple people working for you. You have to be there for them. It's, it's that point when it turns from like a side project to a full business. I found I tried to keep my foot into both of them, like running it sort of more like a business, but keeping it as a side project. And it just, I wasn't able to maintain the quality of that. That's interesting. So now that it is what you're doing full time, I'm curious what you've let go of and how, how you got to that point. Yeah, that has definitely been a challenge over time because I, I am that tech guy. So I had 100% control for <laughs> so many years because that was me on my own from 2007 until 2012, 2013, when I actually hired somebody. That's your baby. You built that from scratch. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And even with the first couple of employees, they were all customer support. So they were really, they were much better than me at having patience to respond to people and giving much more human replies. So I hired people to improve in one area, but I was still the technical expert. So I still had to help them with the technical types of things. So although that they were much better at giving support, I still had to help technically. So I was a lot more comfortable delegating like the front end directly replying to customers, but I was still there for escalations and everything else. And then over time, since we are very, as I mentioned too, like a lot of the development came from reaching out to customers. I recognized that early on. So I wanted to be a very customer focused company. So still now we're at 20 people. I'm a, I think eight, 15 or so are all customer support. And even the developers still do customer support and reach out directly. So I've always been trying to be very hands on with that and trying not to lose that like doing, you know, early on doing custom development for people is what helped help that word of mouth. So I really did not want to lose that. So I stayed very tied into customer support. I remember my first hire telling me like, just get out of the inbox, Gavin, like, I can answer all of these. It's just like, I was much faster than them. And I was be like, Oh, we need to answer these faster and faster. So I did have trouble trying to, to let go of that. But as soon as I recognized that I could do a much better job doing things that uniquely I could do, like the technical things, the making the product better, trying to fix the root causes, of support questions that people wouldn't even have to email in. I was much more comfortable letting it go, knowing that these people are really rock solid at giving great human support and I'm totally comfortable with them knowing when to escalate something to me when it is out of their hands. But it's been an ongoing process. So customer support was the very first thing. It took a couple of years and I, I still do development also, but trying to hand off more of the development to other people. To handing it off to customer support was a lot more comfortable too than trying to hand it off on the development side. And that one is something that I'm still in the process of because having a large legacy code base on the one side, it was great for product development that I was able to take a lot of learnings and build it in. 
not so great for code quality because I was trying to cram in things into my off hours, trying to build something for customers that you don't focus on the quality of the code itself. You focus on the quality of the, the product and what people see. So there have been trade-offs and we're still, we'll, we're still learning with a lot of that. I think one of the advantages of hiring in a team of developers is it's mandatory to focus on code quality just because code is shared and multiple people need to be able to touch it without breaking everything. Yeah, exactly. And with the first couple of development hires, I focused a lot on just our orthogonality of responsibilities where somebody would have 100% control over one area of code. So you wouldn't have to, although it was technically a shared code base, you would be working on, say, just working with like MailChimp integrations and integrations in general, and I could still take the core of the scheduling and everything else, and somebody else could take the mobile app. But now that we're growing more, it's becoming much more difficult to do that type of thing. And there is a lot more with the shared code base. So it does slow you down a little bit, but hopefully it slows you down by necessity so that you can be faster later on. No, I think there are a lot of advantages to having people cross-trained in things rather than having them stovepiped, because once one of those people wins the lottery, what are you going to do? Who's going to go in and support the code that they wrote? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And especially me too. I am not the prettiest of coders because my focus was getting things out quickly to people. So actually, that's probably even even bigger challenge is a lot of the areas that I could give up to people earlier on that I hired on the development side were like sort of developing new things and more more modern areas of the code base. And a lot of the older, more intricate things I've kept back for myself over time. And now I'm being forced to give up some of those. So that has come down to hiring people with the right personality more than the right technical skills because when you get down to that it's it's a lot with how somebody values creating the same things that you do so what are you still holding on to that you really you're having trouble letting go of at this point i'm really curious yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is that, that core code base of Acuity, like things that involve availability and everything else. We actually just hired a developer who was fantastic a couple of months ago who's taking that over from me, but taking it over slowly and have given some, some really challenging things and they stood up to it. So that makes me a lot more comfortable. So that is something, but um, now that I see it, I think that we actually need two people to try to take care of that because there's still a lot of refactoring and improvements to that they need to do. And it is really a two-person job, which, like you're saying, requires a lot more communication and everything else, too. So I think that is going to be a challenge. So I haven't 100% let go of it, and I still need to. The other big thing is, so design was something that I handed off very early on to, to other people because I'm not a great designer, but other people are much better than me. So I've been really comfortable with that. But on the product side, too, I'm still very active in figuring out what features we should develop and where the product itself is going. So along with the marketing and the business and everything else that doing product development like just prior to this i was reading through our recent survey that we sent out to customers which got like oh geez i don't know like seven eight thousand responses and i was trying to read through all of them individually and that is <laughs> totally something that i need to delegate <laughs> But I love your, your attention to customer feedback. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't realize is a, is a huge part of building something like this. And it's part of what built you such a passionate user base, I think. Yeah, exactly. And so I started out early on really listening to people because I was happy that they were just using the product. And then I noticed that they were really happy when I built things for them. And it really drove the product to become better. And that's why I say I'm really happy developing it like not not fast over a short term, but really slow over the long term has helped me learn a lot more. And the learning has come from customers. And then I've read business books later on that say like, oh, you should listen to customers and like really talk to them and do all that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've 
kind of been doing that all along. And yes, it has been very successful. So your, your company is now at the point is about 20 people. I believe you, you have a distributed model, right? Yeah, so everybody works remotely. So we have folks from Greece, Scotland, Seattle, all around the U.S. That's amazing. I'm curious, how you how do you organize and manage, keep track of all of that? Yeah, that's another one, too. When If I had started out in 2007 intending to build a large team and having started early on hiring a lot more, I don't think that we would have gone the remote model. But now there are such great tools, like we're talking over Google Hangouts. That's one of them that we use a lot. So it's been because of like the really good tech tools. So we use Slack for chat inside of our team, and we've used a bunch of other ones, Campfire and HipChat and everything else. And all of them have been fantastic just to be able to get that real-time responses back and forth. That, like You get banter and everything else sort of like you'd get at an office, but it's really easy to turn off and focus on your work. So I think we're a little bit more productive working remote, but hiring the people with the right personality has been really key for that. Sort of early on, you have to trust somebody to be able to delegate to them. The same goes with working remotely. A lot of the things that I hear as objections to working remotely, to me, sound like they're just worried they're, they don't trust their employees and people enough. And I feel like once you get over that hurdle of trust, whether somebody's in the office or somebody's remotely, if you really trust them, working remotely is often a lot more productive since you can be in your own quiet space. You can just turn on do not disturb on Slack and really just zone in and focus on your work. Where in an office, you have people popping in and out and all of that. I've worked in an office for so many years. I I know those types of things. Yeah. And working remotely was just really a no brainer because we had the tech to support it. I found people that I trusted who were remote in, in Pennsylvania. I didn't even think about having an office at the time because everything else just supported it so well. And it sounds like you're distributed now globally. So you're you're getting the opportunity to have your product exposed to people around the world while you're doing this. Yeah. And actually, especially for support, that has been a great benefit to be able to distribute time zones since we're able to have people work normal hours in their own time zones, but still get 14 or 16 hours of coverage during the day since somebody in Scotland can start at 9 a.m their time, which is what, like a 5 a.m. my time. So we're able to get so much more coverage without asking people to do anything out of the ordinary for them. And on top of that, too, since we've found a lot of productivity and most of our folks are support, I only have people work six hour days, too. And so again, you have to really trust them because it's not to me, it's not a benefit. It's just if you can get eight hours worth of productivity into six hours, which I believe you can with support, where you just take a longer break in the middle, you come back re-energized, and because you're so much re-energized, you get you know more passion with the customers, and you get uh, just a better quality of work, where if you were doing it for eight hours, the last couple hours of your day, you're just drained and slow and everything else. And that too would be, I feel like, an awkward one to do in an office, because we have to stagger everything, and like it's, it's just, it's really easy to manage remotely. That's cool. And it sounds like you, you have your employees working remotely, but they're full-time employees. You have them on a salary basis, not on an hourly basis. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So again, another great thing too is just having things like the PEO in the United States to be able to, to manage employees too and deal with taxes in all the different states. If I had to do that on my own, it would probably be a nightmare, but we use JustWorks as the professional employer organization. So they help to manage taxes and payroll and everything else and all the little different legal aspects in all of the different states. <laughs> yeah, acuity scheduling is just one of a suite of tools that are making it possible for small businesses to, to... <laughs> 
operate this way. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And starting a decade ago, if I had a larger team, I probably would not have gone this route. But now it's really a no-brainer because we get the benefits. It's so people are working six-hour days from home. You don't have a commute or anything else. You're get so much more time to yourself so you hopefully do come to work a little bit more energized and can bring that back to our customers so we get a better quality worker because of it we're having people in the distributed in time zones they can work normally too we're not asking people locally to work a midnight shift so hopefully we get happier people through that we do get a lot more diversity in our staff too because the people who are working europe time are Europeans. They can relate a lot more, like just the, the speaking patterns and everything else and events. You're just the weather you're able to relate to a lot easier too. So it's kind of funny how that works out. Like the benefits, uh, once you, you don't like, I really didn't think about all of those things in advance, but now they just like, it just makes a lot of sense. And we're looking to expand our time zones too. And it was, we briefly questioned, like, should we just ask people in the United States to work odd hours? We're like, no, we'll just hire some folks around Australia to work the <laughs> night shifts there. Like that way, because they're going to be supporting people from Australia, New Zealand and around there. Yeah, it speaks to one of the hidden advantages of diversity in the workplace. Employers sometimes look at diversity as an obligation, but it actually expands your customer base potential so much because what you're developing is able to support people who are thinking like the way that your developers are working from around the world. Yeah, exactly. And I find we get a lot of diversity just by having this geography that if you have a traditionally diverse workforce, but you're all based around, say, Philadelphia, you're all sharing the same restaurants, the same like current events, the same weather and everything else. That it's just been really interesting to see the interactions of people from just really different areas, completely different countries and everything else, you're able to bring a lot more to it. And especially as the company grows and the product grows too, I'm able to take a lot of the things that people are are telling us, like just silly things like, oh, I'm really frustrated. Like I have to incorporate my company in a different country other than Greece and like just hearing how people work with all of that, that I probably wouldn't have thought about before. Just different things like how payment methods work or like culturally how, how people like deal with businesses and all of that, that if we had just been geographically located, I would never have gotten a lot of those things. Well, it's such a distributed workforce. I imagine that recruitment and hiring must be kind of a challenge. I'm curious how you identify workers. <laughs> Actually, it hasn't been. We've been really lucky with that. So again, there's great websites out there now. We just post on weworkremotely.com. In the past, I had tried posting on a couple of other websites and found that was the only one we really needed. And we have a really unique job posting. It's in the, instead of just like, we're looking for a customer support person willing to work 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., blah, blah, blah. It's in a form of a personal ad from the point of the app. And we ask for a love letter because, again, I'm trying to look for personality and everything else. Because if we have a remote worker, you one, you have to be really good at typing and everything. That's the core part of your job. So instead of saying, you must be a good typer, we're trying to ask for, you know, some little bit more creative writing. And because it's a different type of job posting and people tend to enjoy the benefits of working remotely too, and we pay really competitively and have, have great benefits and everything else too, we get a lot of responses because of that. And then we see a lot of people write in with these really creative postings just because they're so happy that somebody has done something a little bit different out there. And I think last time when we opened our job posting within three days, we had to shut it off because we had like 3,000 or 4,000 applicants, which is way too many to filter through. And we had so many good qualified people that we wanted to hire, and we were only looking for two new people. So that has been tough. 
Like the, the winnowing down has been the tough part, not finding the people. Yeah. That is what you call a high quality problem. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It is. But again, I think it helps too that we're not limiting based on geography. So we have the whole world as potential applicants instead of just people in a single geographic area too. That's interesting. It sounds like you are on a growth trajectory. Are you are you seeing the company growing to a larger number of employees soon? Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, we'll have to hire just to be able to support different time zones and everything else. I personally kind of dislike hiring because I, I feel like we should be able to solve a lot of the problems in a more automated way. But it's sort of that necessity that we have to get that time zone diversity to be able to support people much faster who are all around and to try to increase our overall quality of support. So yes, unfortunately, reluctantly, we have to hire more. But luckily, our growth in users and revenue is, is outpacing our growth and people. And it sounds like your success from direct customer support, it's a weighing factor because it, it's been such a, a positive thing for you to get that customer feedback. It's been so valuable for your business. Automating might cut, cut down on that. Yeah, it's true. We're trying to find the trade-offs between a quality customer support interaction and one that's not so good quality. So like a quality one is one where the customer can gain a lot in value and we can actually gain a lot in value too, just by understanding their situation. So for us, that'd be something like, I am a cupcake delivery place and I'm trying to figure out like how I can schedule it so that people can pick up like dozens of cupcakes in the morning and blah, 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 and all these different requirements with baking and being able to do quantities and all these things. And we're like, wow, this is like something really unique. I guess we could use Acuity for it. Maybe we can come up with a solution and it gets us to think a lot more creatively where a less quality customer support interaction would be, how can I cancel my account? They shouldn't have to email in for that. Like we don't learn anything about them as a business and they don't really, it's just a roadblock where you're not doing anything like innately human. So we do try to automate a lot of those like confusion types of things, ones where people just aren't familiar enough with the software. So making the UI and UX a lot easier so that how I cancel my account can be something really easy and like get all of those roadblocks out of the way so that they don't have to contact support. And that way we can focus on the things that as a human were truly unique to be able to handle. <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. And getting back to you as a human, it sounds like when you started this, your trajectory was probably going to be working as an employee and you were very satisfied being an employee. I'm curious, you say you, you read a few business books along the way, but was building a business something that you thought you'd be able to do? And how did you make yourself ready for that? <laughs> so I'm very fortunate that the work that I did with the government was, it was fun. It was really unique. And it was something that I felt like I could really only do as part of a larger team and I didn't want to have to be the one managing that larger team because I, I enjoyed building things and, and all of that. So although I could have done the gone down the business route then, I I'm thankful to have a lot of entrepreneurial folks in my family. So I did see that as an opportunity to like my, my parents owned a restaurant for a while. My mom was a massage therapist, but she worked for herself. So starting a business wasn't something really foreign to me, but it was what I wanted to do for the nature of the work that I did want to be an employee at that point. But that's also why I wasn't frightened away from starting Acuity and running it and charging people too, where I didn't want to have to get to the point of hiring and managing people and everything else. I was totally happy managing a product and and all of that. And when it did get to the point when I realized that to be able to support people, our users better and everybody else better, that I had to hire and I had to take it on full time, it wasn't something that scared me away at all. 
<laughs> it's interesting. It sounds like your mother was not only inspiration for the product, but was also your role model early on. <laughs> oh, yeah, very, very much so. I've been really thankful. And then besides her, my, my dad also with the restaurant, it's been an interesting thing, too, to see like it was generally like a good passion of his. And running a restaurant is not is not easy. Like it's much easier to be an employee. And he would do incredibly long hours. So that made me just really thankful for what I had with Acuity, that the business model itself when I had it, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm really thankful for this. And I also, I should say, too, I throughout all of this, I did try to do a couple of other products and things, but ended up coming back to Acuity throughout it because it was just one of those that just kept naturally growing on its own and had a really great business model to go around it, too. Now, the ability to recognize that is an important part of it. I mean, it's just, it sounds like you were starting out, you were planning on setting yourself up perhaps entrepreneurially as a web developer, selling your services. And then it just turned out you were able to make a product instead. Yeah, 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 exactly. And really, I, I guess I was comfortable doing the, the business thing as the web developer, but I did not see a product as something that I'd be able to do, especially because I, I always had the feeling that, you know, you had to be a larger company and teams to be able to build it. So that's why I didn't try to market it a whole lot at the beginning or anything else, but just the slow growth of it over time, that also gave me a lot of confidence. And also, when I did decide to go Acuity full-time, it was a really easy decision seeing that it was already making more money than I was making in my day job. <laughs> so your, your father and your mother, they were running a restaurant, running a massage business. Again, very, very hands-on kinds of businesses where the number of hours you put in turns into the, the amount of money that you make, as opposed to a product, which can multiply your time without actually having to, to put in all of those hours. I'm curious if there were any people you worked with or any role models and any, were you involved with any mastermind groups with other people who were building products and learning how to do this? Uh, no, not at all. And it wasn't until much later after I had left my day job and taken Acuity full-time and moved from the DC area up to New York that I started to try to go to meetups and everything else. By that point, I found that a lot of the people that I was meeting up with were more interested in, I don't know, how I say this nicely, uh, playing the role of business more than actually building a successful business. So I would see a lot of people who would quickly jump around between things and all of that. And it wasn't the, the type of culture that I really identified with because I was much more interested in building and helping people and not necessarily like becoming a large business and making money. But I think because of that, we've accidentally become a much larger business than any of those folks that I was talking to had achieved and making more money because a lot of that. So it's, it's kind of funny that you don't go into it but you end up achieving it just with the goal of helping people, helping people like your mom. And it just turns out to be a great product and a great product turns out to be something that is naturally a good business. So have you found a peer group of people who can support you in what you're doing? Uh, no, I, I keep looking. I've had a lot more success just reaching out to past managers and, and talking to, as we're doing partnerships with other companies, just talking to other founders with that and that being able to sort of select the people who I think share the values that I share has helped a lot. And I've gotten a lot of good insights from that. And I, I read a ton. So I love reading. And I think I've gotten a lot of good ideas from from just reading from really smart people. So I can't have a conversation with them, but at least they can talk at me through books. I've had a lot of guests on my show who've said that they've found mentors in the books that they've read. People mentoring over time and over space. <laughs> actually, I totally agree with that. I think actually, although I have, I've tried to find a lot of good mentors and everything else, the books have been the biggest one because you get a diversity of opinions from people who are a lot more successful too. So that way I'm able to just learn from the best. And it's somebody who has taken a lot of time and effort to put their thoughts into paper more than just off the cuff talking. Mm -hmm. 
No, and as somebody who's gotten into the position that you've gotten yourself into, I imagine people have reached out to you also for mentorship. <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple of times folks have, and I'm more than happy to give it to, but I've actually been surprised that that hasn't come up. Although, I'll be honest, for the longest time, I haven't done things like podcasts or anything else because I've been so heads down and trying to build the product that I've been described as media shy and everything else. So, And I have noticed that with a lot of other successful products too, that I'm like, oh, I actually don't know who the CEO is of that. Like, they're not very media focused. So it's an interesting thing that you have to make a conscious effort to be able to put your face out there. And I think we're at the point in the company too, where I'm trying to do that just to be able to to get recognition for what the product is and really what we value sort of has resonated with a lot of folks. And I do want to share that. And actually, if anybody does reach out, I'm more than happy to chat with them and mentor and anything else. That's awesome. And so as people are listening to this, one of the things that they're going to be wondering is how you organize your time, how you manage to keep yourself sane while running a company of 20 employees, all distributed, all working on a product that you built by hand, and now you're distributing the responsibility for managing it. How do you, how, what is your routine like these days? Oh, man. And before we got on this, we were talking about how I, I just moved to Pennsylvania from New York City. The reason for that move was my wife and I had a baby. So I've had to be much more strict about my routine where I try to strictly do eight-hour days and not more than that where before the kid, I was a little bit looser with my time, where I was more comfortable working 12-hour days and, and working on the product and everything else. So now I need to to be stricter on myself. So since we're all remote, we use Slack to chat. I pretty much check in in the morning, say hi to everybody. We have a 1 p.m. daily meeting for our team. So I'll get on that and then I'll say goodbye at the end of the day, normally by around 4.30. And then during that time, though, I use Acuity, Acuity Scheduling, to try to sort of schedule my meetings. And because of that, I'm able to time block things where I try to force meetings only into specific hours and sort of just Mondays and Fridays. That way I can have large blocks of uninterrupted time to work on other things like reading through surveys and building things and still trying to improve the product and everything else. So I'll start out the morning on customer support because I still respond to a lot of emails and, and help people out and answer a lot of internal questions then move on to, to hopefully a little bit more development and making the product better. Yeah, and then just a mix of that throughout the day. But actually, I think having those distinct start, stop, and meeting times planned out in between with not a whole lot of impromptu interruptions throughout the day have really helped too. Yeah, I know that that focused time can be really important. And I'm curious if you do anything for your health to keep yourself fit and mentally tuned. Yeah, really great question. I care a lot about mindfulness too, so I'm always trying to be very observant of myself and take time to, to reflect on myself and my emotions and everything else, and I think that helps. And actually, a lot of the time that I take for mindfulness is just either quiet time in my office or or quiet time in the morning. And then I do find a lot of value just about running too. So I do a lot of running recently where I'll just turn on an audiobook, which is normally a book that's a little bit denser than I'd be comfortably reading at night that would put me to sleep. So a lot of biographies and everything else that I actually really enjoy listening to while running. And that has helped. So I learn a little bit and I stay fit and it helps focuses me and gets me completely away from thinking about work since I do find a lot of value about getting away from work. Because when I was at that point, when I was working a lot of those 12-hour days and everything else, your mind gets so into like the nitty-gritty of your day. I personally lose sight of the bigger picture a lot of those times. So being able 
to step away and completely shut out your mind from everything that's going on with the business, I think helps a lot to be able to, to regain focus. So that time running and thinking and reading and everything else, I find really valuable for the time when I do get back. I can imagine, especially when it's something that's as much a part of you as this, as this business is, since you built it from scratch. Yeah, yeah. And because it's been going on for so long, over 10 years, that it's it's really, it's a marathon. It's not this sprint anymore. I'm not trying to work crazy hours just to get something out there. We're trying to build something that can be sustainable for the long term. And to be able to do that, you do need to take a lot of self-care and reflect too, and not get so caught up in a lot of the details in the job. Like I could easily get really caught up if like somebody angry emails in, just trying to get things right for them. But at the same time, I need to be able to step back and like see how does this fit into how we're going to work with acuity as a whole like how do i again like delegate that out to somebody else or like are there some process things that we need to fix instead instead of trying to take things as like a singular incident too that makes perfect sense do you have a particular mindfulness practice that you follow not really my my wife is a yoga instructor and so much better at that than me i've read a lot of books about buddhism early on because i I love uh, the ideas and philosophies about it so i've taken a lot of little things from those but nothing official (laughs) and you've been reading biographies too i'm curious what you've been reading lately yeah, I think one of my favorite ones was a biography on the Rockefeller family, because it's crazy. I had no idea just how modest I think it was John D. Rockefeller was. Like, there was a story in the book, too, about how his kids didn't really know that he was, that they were a rich family at all until, like, they said something to another businessman when they were trying to shop and get something on credit, and they were just, like, taken aback and floored by it. So that <laughs> one is, that, that one was such a good book, too. Yeah, read a couple about Churchill, Rockefeller, did a Warren Buffett biography recently too which was really good i try to uh, read the occasional like tech books and things like that but definitely try to stay away from other people and and try to get out and like diversify my reading too because there's so much about tech and business and like the the modern businesses too that I, i really like to just look at some of the older folks folks like rockefeller who had built big businesses 100 years ago and it's really it's just really interesting it can be very inspiring and the, the the wisdom from 100 years ago from 200 years ago from a thousand years ago it really can inspire you today yeah yeah and again it gets down to a lot of like the bigger ideas and, and what really persists over time instead of just being temporary fads or getting away from like the specific implementation things with technology but trying to focus on like what's actually going to sustain for the long term because as acuity has been around for 10 years there's been a lot of changes in technology and a lot of changes in even just business and everything else too sort of started around a recession and have seen businesses change and have seen a lot more small businesses change so it's interesting going back and seeing how other people have dealt with changes in the marketplace and like the technology and the environment and the businesses just at a different point in time <laughs> and it's so easy to get lost in all of those fluctuations especially you know you're coming from a tech background tech has changed so dramatically just in the last couple of years and it constantly evolves and then business models yeah you're seeing a whole different customer base than you were targeting when you started out oh my gosh yeah exactly things are changing so so much and i think that that whole idea of self-care that you're getting on is really important if you really want to sustain things in the long term Well, so I'm curious how people can find you, how they can get in touch with you and find out more about what you've been doing. Yeah, so honestly, I think the best way is to, I'll set up a a link after the show with some notes and my contact information too at acuityscheduling.com slash HTP. That's A-C-U-I-T-Y scheduling.com slash HTP. 
that is the best link. I'll have my contact information on there along with a special offer for your listeners too. Oh, fantastic. That's great. Yeah. And I know people are going to be interested and I have a feeling one or two folks might reach out to you for that mentorship you were talking about. I'm happy to chat with anybody. That's awesome. Thank you again for joining me today. This has been a really amazing chat. Yeah, I have really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit hacktheprocess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>